when the time came of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Thanks, uh, Sarah. That's where we're going to be spending uh, today, in uh, Luke 2, 22 to 40. So with that in mind, let's just pause and ask God to speak to us uh, through his word and by the power of his spirit so heavenly father we come before you now we desire to hear from you we desire more than just good information we desire a, a revelation something that's supernatural that can only come from you and so as we uh, spend a moment in this passage by your spirit would you do a work amongst us we thank you for your word we thank you for your spirit come now we pray in Jesus name amen so this is the uh, the first Sunday after after Christmas and uh, it's, well, quite obviously, it's already been mentioned, it's the last Sunday, the last day of 2023. And uh, as we've mentioned, we're, uh, we're continuing through uh, the, the book of, of Luke, and we're going to be spending our, our, our focus, or our focus will be through the Gospel of Luke right through until till Easter. It'd be great to sort of, you know, find uh, its... Uh, its um, pinnacle at, uh, at, uh, at Easter through all of this and it's been interesting that um, we've been looking right through for the, the, the first chapter where we had 
Elizabeth's songs and, and Mary's song and Zechariah's song. And, and now we, we kind of got Simeon's song uh, as, as well. Can I also mention that if you were here on, on Christmas Day, we, we read the passage of Luke 2, 1 to 20. I mean, that's the, the account of the birth of Christ. This passage is immediately after. So in the Gospel of Luke, this is what happens, according to Luke, immediately after uh, the birth of, of Jesus, as we read this passage uh, together. Now, I want you to... Um, if you've got your Bibles with you, just to reflect on that. So that's Luke, Luke 2, 22 to, to 40. Now, think about the last three years that we've, um, what's the best word, Endu- endured. Um, it wasn't that long ago. We had two years of, of, of COVID restrictions, a pandemic. We, we've still got COVID amongst us. Uh, with all of the, the trauma and the, the frustration of, of that. Last year, we had uh, our, uh, our floods and with all of the uh, uncertainty and the unknown and the recovery efforts in all of that. Uh, we, the start of the, the war in Ukraine. This year, we've got a war in, in the Middle East. Uh, I mean, it would be fair to say that we live in tumultuous times. Would you ag- ag- agree um, very uncertain. It almost feels like there's a, uh, there's, a, there's a fear and trepidation and you're turning on the TV and you're going to go, what's the next event that's going to happen that's going to turn our world upside down? So y- you can all agree that we live in these, these times when um, we could ask the question, Lord, where are you? Come now. Um, we yearn for an end to distress from one unsettling event to another the thing about it we know and and as we uh, get a grasp of the word of God we know that this is shouldn't really surprise us really should it Uh, as a matter of fact in in Romans chapter 8 verse 22 we read Paul writes we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time now present time in Paul's time was you know about 50 AD it doesn't make any difference whether it's 50 AD or 2023 AD this passage is still relevant isn't it the earth and creation are groaning groaning in its brokenness um right up till today and we know this whether it's what's happening around our globe or whether it's just happening personally and for many of us we have personal traumas personal difficulties there's sometimes you know life can seem to be going really really well and probably what you could say if life has gone really really well you've probably just gone through some difficulties in the past or can I be a doomsdayer and say there's probably another complex issue that's going to be just around the corner (laughs) Um, that's that's life. That's life. So if it's got, life's going well. Make the make the most make the most of it. <laughs> you you came along today to be encouraged, didn't you? Yeah, it'll it'll get there. Don't worry. So we cry. We cry. How long, O oh Lord? Now, this passage today. It's a fascinating passage, and it's got some similar threads to what we go through here in 2023 approaching 2024 mary and joseph um, having um, their baby uh, jesus they go to jerusalem 
to have him consecrated. Uh, Sarah read this passage, and the thing that we focus on is that in this um, routine, this, this ritual that is done for every firstborn uh, within a family, it's just a normal event, but there's these two people that we're, we're looking at today that uh, interact with Mary, Joseph, and uh, the baby Jesus, Simeon and Anna. Now, what I want to do is focus... Um, I'm going to pull together a little concept here. And if we look again at verse 25, we read this. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Consolation. It's an interesting word, isn't it? We don't read that word too often in the Bible and it just jumps out I don't know about you but it jumps out there um, in this particular passage now I think the best thing is if we if we want to know what Luke is referring to or how it was uh, interpreted for the early translators let's let's go to a dictionary so we go to a dictionary and the first definition I come across is this a goal scored at a point when it is no longer possible for the scoring team to win a consolation goal. Hmm, does that work for you? No, probably not. It's, it's really just a little bit of sporting comfort in a loss, isn't it? You know, you're, you're down 10 nil. If we can score and make it 10 1, it's not as bad as 10 nil. It's still a loss, okay? But it's a consolation goal. Um, so probably not the best definition. Let's go to the other definition that I came across, and that's this. Consolation, the comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. Does that sit a little bit better with the passage that we're looking at today? The comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. So, if we apply that definition into this passage here, here's Simeon waiting for the comfort of Israel after so much trauma, so much disappointment, so much time just wondering and waiting for someone to come and bring hope. He's looking, Simeon is looking for comfort corporately. His people have, have been oppressed his people have been waiting for the Messiah. And we read a little bit later in, in Simeon's prayer, they're, they're waiting for the revelation for others, such as the Gentiles. We read that in verse 32. For personally, for Simeon, it's just been this long, long wait. Consolation. It's the word for today. Consolation. So, with that in mind, I'm going to suggest three things regarding consolation regarding this passage and the first thing is this consolation meets us in our powerlessness consolation comfort meets us in our powerlessness now let's have a look at these these two people in this passage Simeon and Anna Simeon and Anna now these people just sort of get get brought into this little picture it focuses on them and then we don't hear about them anymore so we don't have a lot of information except what Luke brings into this passage 
But things we notice about them is, is their qualities. Now let's have a look once again at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. That's a positive description, wouldn't you agree? How would it be like if someone sort of said, oh, you're righteous and devout. That's, that's a compliment, isn't it? It's, it's, you're seeing qualities in a person that, that needs identifying and encouragement. I was trying to think of other, um, other words. I, I came up with a, another word that's different to that, stellar. Does that still work? Stellar? Simeon is a stellar person. A brother's repoke. He's been uh, identified in a very positive way. Good qualities. And I'm sure that uh, we would be incredibly encouraged if people gave us that description. Now, a little bit later on, in verse 36, we read about this prophet Anna. There was a prophet Anna, verse 36. Now, once again, a fascinating character. Obviously, married young by reading between the lines here and became a widow just after seven years of marriage so got married seven years and uh, lost her husband now most translations indicate she was 84 years of age when she met Jesus so an elderly woman Uh, obviously married young 84 years now there is a way that we could possibly translate it to mean that she had been widowed for 84 years. Widowed for 84 years. That's another way that we could possibly translate that. Now, if that means she's been widowed for 84 years, do them and, and married for seven years, she's well into her hundreds. We're talking an incredibly old woman. It doesn't really matter which way we translate it. We can all agree that uh, she's lived a long life. And she had spent all of these years worshipping, fasting, and praying day and night. How's that for commitment? As a widow, her sole focus was worshipping, fasting, and praying. It says day and night. An author, Dan Darling, um, focused on her life and assumed that she was gifted and unafraid to declare the word of the Lord. She was gifted and unafraid to declare the word of the Lord. Obviously a woman with an incredible commitment to God. So imagine, imagine for a moment the day she met Jesus after decade after decade after decade of worshipping, fasting and praying. Now, we can see the common denominator for both Simeon and Anna are there, is their age. Now, to a certain extent, it may seem incidental. We read lots about characters in the Bible that are of a certain age or whatever. Both of these are elderly people. But even though it may seem incidental that they are old, in truth, it highlights the limits. Despite being these quality, or can I use the word stellar, people, despite being above reproach, worthy of admiration, they could not lengthen their days, could they? It doesn't matter how 
stellar you are, you have to die at some point. Gee, this is going to sound like a little bit of a downer sermon, isn't it? You know, you're, you're all going to die at some point. And just having these incredible qualities doesn't necessarily lengthen your days. They were aware of their frailty and their inability to change it. Can we see that? Those things didn't change. In other words, to a large extent, they were at the end of themselves. And at that point, in the last few days of their life on earth, Christ turned up. Think about it, what a fascinating moment in their lives, a moment in Scripture. The baby Jesus turns up in the lives of these two people. Which makes me think, when I think about it in our own context, this statement, grace most often appears when we have no resources of our own to meet the need. I'll say it again. Grace most often appears when we have no resources of our own to meet the need. Yes? Can you agree with that statement? For Simeon and Anna, Christ turned up at that moment. They really had nothing else to really offer. They were at the end of their lives. What about for us? We're aware of our limitations, and I think for many of us going through certain challenging times within our life, we just feel we've come to the end of any personal resources that we have and we've got nothing else left to give ever been in a space like that sometimes that can be the best space to be in if we've got no resources left maybe the only room we've got left is for christ to do his work we see this over and over and over again within the pages of scripture when no other hope is found, that's when Christ does his greatest work. So consolation meets us in our powerlessness when we've got nothing left, like Simeon and Anna. The second point I'd like to make is that consolation is more about welcome than change. Consolation is more about welcome than changing our situation. Now look again at verse 25 seems to be coming back to verse 25 all the time notice again here we see that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel now that reading of that passage just looks like a passive word he was just sitting there standing there waiting passively it's it's more than that I believe and if we dig in a little bit Luke introduces us to a, a word that's not found too often else in the rest of Scripture. And I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Well, yes, I will. Prodectiobimus, which doesn't really matter how I pronounce it. It's still, the word is what it is. But what it's actually saying is it's ready to receive to oneself. Now, can you see that that, that, that definition is far more profound than just a passive waiting? just sitting there and waiting for something to happen he was ready he was ready now 
can you understand the subtle but significant difference in, in waiting passively or waiting ready to receive to oneself, ready to receive? Put that into that passage and we, we read, Simeon was ready to receive to himself the consolation of Israel. Now, that requires a fair bit of patience. He's an old man. He's been waiting for generations. But he was ready when it would occur. An eagerness to welcome. This gives us a concept. And and I think for us, we go through uh, times of just um, patient waiting for a prayer to be answered. Just waiting for a situation to resolve itself and too often instead of excruciating endurance what we really see here is Simeon who is actively participating Simeon counted the days until God revealed what he had promised as Simeon gazed and this is just a a, a powerful passage Simeon gazing into the brand new eyes of this baby the ancient of days being referred to this moved Simeon from being God just with with us corporately to God with me can you imagine what's moved in Simeon to suddenly be standing there eyes locked on to the Messiah Now, similarly, Anna planted herself in God's presence. She turned the grief of a young widow into an active prayer life. Now, there's this young Canadian author and blogger, Anne Voskamp, and she, in referring to Anna, says this, this waiting on God is the very real work of the people of God. This waiting on God is the very real work of the people of God. If, if you were to describe what life is like as a follower of Jesus, I wouldn't imagine waiting, ready to receive to oneself. Waiting would be top of that list, would it? Oh, no, Christian, you get to do this and you do that and you, you, know, you go here and you go there and you read this and you pray that. But a lot of... Our, our, our ministry is, is waiting. And for most of us, that's a tension, isn't it? Yeah? I don't know about, about you, but it's an incredible tension for me because I like to see things happen. You know what I mean? Anyone else or you disagree? I like to see things happen, but a lot of the time, we seem to spend this amount of time waiting and then something happens and then we spend more time waiting for the next thing to happen or am I the only one in this room we do isn't it and yet it seems and we we read this whether it's Moses for 40 years you know as a farm hand at the the backside somewhere in the in the, 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 the the land waiting People waiting 
for the Messiah. People waiting for things to happen. This waiting on God is the very real work of the people of God. I think too often we don't sit in that because we're keen to get things happening. I think about our waiting, so often it's impatience, irritation, gritting my teeth, yes? Just trying to hold on. And I think for some of us, unfortunately, what happens is instead of waiting ready to receive, it's how do I get out of this situation? Help me to escape. Help me to find another life instead of welcoming in. Do we need to shift our mindset? Do we need to receive more than escape? Our hardship can look different through the lens of curiosity and welcome. For example, when we're waiting and it doesn't appear like our our prayers are being answered in our time frame, what are you doing, Heavenly Father? What, What work are you doing in my life? What are you preparing me for? The other day I came across a, uh, an amazing quote um, from a guy called George MacDonald. It was written way back in the 1800s. Scottish author and poets, the Scots, they crop up everywhere, don't they? Um, and he said this, a congregational minister, he said, Come then, affliction, if my father wills, and be my frowning friend. Oh, I think we'd better read that again. Come then, affliction, if my father wills, and be my frowning friend. I don't know about you, but the first 10 times I read that, I thought, I don't know if I like that quote. But then as I sit with it, I realize so often this is what happens in the life of a follower of Jesus. Paul referred to it so much about the joy in the suffering. Go figure that, the joy in the suffering. How can you have joy in the suffering? For for George MacDonald, he's sort of saying, how can affliction be a friend? But I think the key in all of this, if my father wills. If it's the Father's will that he's going to take you through this time when it just seems like nothing's happening, we're just going to be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, ready to receive to oneself. Um, Sometimes we need to accept that this is where God wants us to be for this time. And too often we either try to resolve our own issues in other words play God we're going to create our own outcome or we're going to try to escape which is trying to create your own outcome anyway isn't it instead of sitting with it and going if this is what you want for me heavenly father I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait and I want you to teach me and help me to learn in this how do you respond to that quote what are your afflictions? Does it better you? Does it intrigue you? Does it interest you? We don't often talk about being intrigued by inflictions, but whatever it is that we may be going through, ask those questions. 
what are you doing in me at this time? How much faith does it take to say amen to that passage there? Now, in fact, Simeon's own name provides a clue into this situation. As a matter of fact, does anyone know what Simeon means? The name Simeon means to hear intelligently. Wow, there you go. Simeon, to hear intelligently. How do we hear? In, do we hear intelligently? Most, most of the time I hear fearfully. I hear angrily. I hear half-heartedly. I don't often hear intelligently. But we are told here that Simeon deliberately listened to God. Look at this focus in this passage, once again, kicking off from verse 25 onwards. We read, And the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Sounds like Simeon is a good listener, doesn't it? Waiting. He had been told how many times in his years, decades, would he have gone, oh, I'm sick of this. I'm going to find something else to do. I might take up fishing or something. I don't know. But he was willing to wait and wait and wait. This is intelligent listening. The difference between our own impulses and God's leading. It means taking difficult messages and not just looking for what we want to hear, but stepping out into obedience. Sometimes we don't want to hear that and we can ask God, you know, why? Why do you take us through these difficult times? Why do we have to endure a, a pandemic two years restrictions and and all of the uncertainty and and then you know the, the week after that gets lifted we get knocked out by a flood why why did you do this to our community why do you allow these wars why do you allow these sicknesses and these difficulties and and too often you know i i think maybe i'm just speaking for myself my response to all of that is god i know the answer to it you need to heal me. You need to resolve this problem. You need to sort this out. Sometimes we just need to sit back and go, Lord, speak to me into this situation. Which leads us to our third point here. Consolation overturns our expectation. The outcome of Simeon's listening is one of the most tender scenes of the Bible. Just whether it helps to close your eyes or, or whatever, but just think, Simeon enters the temple. In there, he meets Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus. And we read in verse 28, Simeon took the baby Jesus in his arms and praised God. Here's that, that moment that he had been waiting decades for. Now, he has the distinction, Simeon, of being the only person in the Bible whom we are told. Now, we're not sort of saying this is exclusive. We're sure there's probably others. But the only person in the Bible we are told held the Christ child in his arms. 
very special. It's a striking visual, not just meeting Jesus, but receiving Jesus to himself. So it's not just Jesus with us for Israel. Here is Jesus for me. Comfort has no real meaning until general truth takes on concrete personal dimensions. In other words, when we talk about hope and comfort, for most people we can say, oh, be comforted, I'm sure you'll get over it soon. Well, you're not really sure, are you? But you want to have some words of comfort. Do you know what I'm saying? So often we seek to give words of comfort and it's just we'll pull some concepts out because we just don't want people to be disappointed. Instead of saying the real comfort we find is the person of Jesus. Now, whether we go through these trials for the next year, 10 years or 50 years, the comfort we find is not in change. The comfort we find is not in an event. The comfort we find is in the person of Jesus. Agreed? Just as Simeon held that baby Jesus in his arms, he realized this is where he would find his comfort. The thing about it is that nothing changed in Simeon's life. Now, I'm going to make an assumption here. Simeon died soon after. His days weren't suddenly extended or anything like that, were they? He's still a frail old man. He didn't suddenly get, you know, changed into a, you know, a, a young 20s who could end up taking over the world or whatever. He's still a frail old man. And yet here it is in his prayer, in his song of praise, he says this in verse 29. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I have found my comfort. How good's that? How good's that? His inner disquiet had been calmed by Christ. His soul was at rest. So for the consolation of, of Israel, and we, we can then apply that to ourselves, our, our own comfort, our own comfort is not an event. It's not a change. It's a person. The person of Jesus what does that say about our, our waiting? Consolation meets us in our powerlessness. Consolation is more about welcome than change. Consolation overturns our expectations. Now, did you notice in this passage... Mary and Joseph take the baby Jesus to Jerusalem for the very first time to be consecrated, as was the custom of that day. That wasn't the last time that Jesus went to Jerusalem, was it? Later on, we would find that uh, he would go to Jerusalem and it would be for another particular time. And for the purpose of his, of his coming to be amongst us would also to be a sacrifice for us, to give up his life for us so that we could live. 
And so I want to finish this, um, this message today that as we look at this Luke 2 passage, to see it in the bigger context that Jesus as, as our comfort, as our comforter, found its unique pinnacle in Jesus dying on the cross so that we can find ultimate comfort from, from our afflictions, our sin, our separation and our sinfulness that he would rise again and defeat death so that we can have a place in heaven with him.